All right. Uh, let's see. Let's pray, and, and we'll, we'll begin here. <clears throat> Our Lord, we're thankful for your mercies of every day, and today is <clears throat> no exception and we're especially thankful that we can call you our Father because of the power and the work of your Son. Actually, because of all three of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how you have uh, taken upon yourselves to, uh, to redeem us with an indestructible salvation, Lord. And we, we thank you for that, and we thank you for the hope that extends beyond the grave and uh, <clears throat> that that's our hope for those of our loved ones that have completed their race, Lord. Uh, we thank you for those, those promises. Lord, uh, we pray that as we study the trial of your son this evening, that our hearts would be gripped with many things, your power, your grace, your love, uh, your justice, all of these things that, that we would deepen our appreciation and uh, that you would equip us to teach our children and our neighbors and others to show them the true hope is that you're a God who saves us in spite of who we are and what we've done. Oh Lord, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're just kind of walking through the New Testament in chronological order, and we're up to Jesus' trial now, and we've been considering data from all four Gospels. And what I have up here on the projection on the screen here is the major um, occurrences of Jesus' trial. We know he was first brought to Annas. Uh, at, when they arrested him, he was brought... Um, uh, I'm having mouse problems. He was brought uh, before Annas, the high priest, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, what was the high priest's name? The other high priest, Caiaphas. And what was the relationship between Annas and Caiaphas? What was it? Was that? In-law, that is correct. Caiaphas was the son-in-law to Annas. Okay. And so when Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas is chairing the Sanhedrin. And they finally convict Jesus of a blasphemy charge. They were not able to find witnesses that would agree, so finally Caiaphas asked Jesus some questions and Caiaphas pretty much knew how Jesus would answer those questions, and Caiaphas knew that, well, that would be blasphemy. So they finally got, he finally got a blasphemy conviction out of the Sanhedrin, and um, that's when, in the morning, Friday morning, Jesus is, is sent to Pilate on, on Friday morning. And that's the same time that Judas has remorse. It's Friday morning. The, the trial before Annas and Caiaphas was in the early hours in the morning before sunrise. But early Friday morning, uh, Jesus is sent before Pilate. And Jesus appears three times before Pilate. And uh, we've gone over the first two of those, uh, and we're working on the third one. 
And after Pilate's first acquittal, Jesus is sent to Herod. That's Friday morning. When why did why did uh, Pilate send Jesus to Herod? What triggered that to happen? That's correct because. Pilate heard that Jesus was from Galilee and Pilate's jurisdiction did not include Galilee. It in, Herod was in jurisdiction over the northern part. And Pilate, of course, wants to get rid of this case. He, want, he doesn't want to have to rule or judge in this case. And so Pilate sends Jesus to Herod and Herod interrogates Jesus. Jesus is silent all during Herod's interrogation and they abuse him on the way out and send Jesus back to Pilate for the second time. He appears before Pilate a second time. And uh, <clears throat> then he appears before Pilate a third time. And uh, that's where we're, gonna, we're, we're going to pick it up tonight, so, which is around John, uh, John chapter 19 and, uh, and verse 10. So we're gonna we're gonna go there. <clears throat> okay. And let's back up here and begin reading at at uh, verse six. Let's back up a little more. Okay, this is, this is toward the end of the second interview that Pilate had with Jesus. And <clears throat> Pilate allowed the Romans to mistreat and abuse Jesus when he was inside the praetorium. And uh, they put a crown on him, and he was, he was scourged at this time, but the least the least severe. And so he was bloodied and they put the crown of thorns on him and all of this. And then Pilate came out, then Jesus came out, out of the praetorium wearing, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. And the strategy here was if Pilate maybe beat up Jesus enough and humiliated him in all of this, the Jews would be satisfied and they would let him go. That's Pilate's strategy. So he presents a, an abused, beaten up, bleeding Jesus to the Jews and he says, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And of course, Pilate is mocking them a little bit because they can't take him and crucify him, correct? Had they felt they could have done that, they would have stoned him and killed him a long time ago. But they're not allowed under Roman authority to execute capital punishment, are they? So, so, they, so he says, you take him and, and, and crucify them, uh, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered... We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Now, had they told Pilate this earlier? No, no. They were asked, he asked them. Yeah, 
but you see, they're finally fessing up. They're finally answering the first question that Pilate said, you know, what wrong has he done? And uh, uh, what evil has he done? And they didn't answer this. because Why didn't they initially tell Pilate this? Yeah, Jew, blasphemy according to the Jews, Pilate could care less about that. There's no way Pilate's going to issue a death sentence because one Jew is accusing another Jew of blasphemy. So, though the Sanhedrin passed a death sentence because of blasphemy, they know that's never going to work with the Roman authorities. So they now, when they, get, when they bring Jesus before the Roman authorities, they've got to convince Pilate that Jesus is an insurrectionist trying to throw off the authority of the Roman Empire. And so that doesn't work. And finally here they fess up. Uh, when, when, they're about, when Pilate's about ready to, to release him, uh, they say, you know, I find no fault in him. The Jews answered, we have a law, and according to our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. Now here's a turn, taking another turn here. And you see, Jesus is still, uh, now no, Jesus is there with him. Jesus hears that. Pilate's more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus. So Jesus at this point is there with Pilate. He hears that Jesus made himself the Son of God. And that really gets his attention. And Pilate and Jesus go back into the praetorium and that starts the third interview of Pilate uh, with, with the Lord Jesus. So, uh, all right, he goes back into the praetorium and said to Jesus, this time the question is <laughs> pretty sincere, like, where are you from? Well, he knows he's from Galilee, so he's no longer asking, you know, where are you from in that sense? He's asking that question like, you know, are you supernatural? Are, are you a god? Or what, what's, you know, what's going on here? Where are you from? And, but Jesus gave him no answer. Uh, then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Now, at this point, Jesus does speak. Jesus answered, You would have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Okay, so he has to speak here. And um, I kind of rushed through it last Wednesday. I want to back up here just a little bit. I, um, Jesus is making this statement for two reasons. That we, we know... He's making this statement because of the sovereignty of God in this Old Testament theology that God sets up the nations and he takes them down and so forth. But he's also making this statement because he is the only one who has the authority to lay down his life and take it up. And so Pilate is saying, I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you. Now, let's, I'm going to go to John 10 here. And uh, Jesus has to respond to that. Verse, John 10, verse 17, Therefore my Father loves me, listen to this, 
because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me. See that? No one takes it from me. Pilate is saying, do you not know that I have the authority to have crucify you crucified or release you? That is a direct contradiction to this, isn't it? Absolutely. See? And, and so Jesus speaks, no, I have the authority. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power. This is the same word that, that uh, Pilate used. It's, authority is probably a little bit better translation. It's the same word that Pilate used. Do you not know that I have authority to crucify you or to release you? It's the same word. Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. So Jesus does not let that kind of statement go un, unchallenged. Um, so then, uh, <clears throat> then Jesus made that, that statement we spent quite a bit of time on. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And that was Caiaphas is probably who's being referred to here. And I think Jesus said this because he wants Pilate to move on. Let's get over with. Let's get this trial over. And uh, because you see, obviously, Pilate's responsible, but Jesus wants to lay down his life, and there's a sense in which Pilate's been an obstacle to that. Because Pilate keeps trying to get him released. Right? Pilate keeps trying to get Jesus released. And Jesus knows my hour has come. This is the, I'm going to lay down my life. I don't want to be released. Okay. And so I do think he's trying to lessen Pilate's fear and to move on. I, I, I don't know, but it's a difficult statement to understand. So, well, from that, it, it didn't work. Jesus' statement did not cause Pilate to move on. From that, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. And, but the Jews cried out, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Oh boy, there's this tug of war going on between the Jews and Pilate. And the Jews are ruthless here. And you know, we, we looked at for the background, Pilate despises the Jews. You know, He probably says, why didn't the emperor give me some other province to rule over than these stubborn Jews <laughs> you know, that won't worship our Roman gods? And, you know, and, and I don't know. But So the chief priests say, yeah, whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, um, he brought, well, wait a minute. Uh, let me look at my notes here for a second. Uh, yeah, the, the Jewish leaders threatened Pilate, and he had a good reason to fear their threat. 
you know, on, an, on earlier occasions, the chief priests conveyed their displeasure with Pilate to the emperor. And Pilate is already under one sanctioned by Tiberius at this time. He's already been in trouble with the emperor once. And, and uh, provinces could do that in the Roman Empire. A province could get together a bunch of uh, representatives and send a delegation to Rome and appeal to Caesar about the, about the, prov- the provincial ruler. And, and the Jews had done that uh, earlier. So Pilate's kind of, kind of on a watch list, so to say. And uh, Tiberius was known to act decisively when suspicions were cast on the conduct or the loyalty, loyalty of the subordinate. So if Pilate doesn't execute Jesus, he is not loyal to Caesar. I mean, that's what the, the, the chief priests are saying. He's not loyal to Caesar. So Pilate is now facing a dilemma, right? Save Jesus or save himself. He's also concerned, we know from Matthew, that a riot is about to break out. And if a riot breaks out, he's going to have to bring the Roman military in and put down a rebellion. And that in itself is not a good mark. Because if you're a good Roman provincial providence, a provincial leader, if you're good at it, you don't have rebellions. You keep them happy. <laughs> and and that's, that was the task of these guys, is we got to keep the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And so, you know, if your province is having a lot of rebellions, you're not getting high marks with the, with the emperor. And so he doesn't want to riot either that he would have to squash with, with the Roman military power. And he did that before. He's not reluctant to do that. Uh, he doesn't want to resort to that. Uh, so he's got uh, these multiple pressures on him now. And so he's beginning to cave. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, that you're no friend of Caesar, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called, I'm reading out of John 19 now, in the place that is called uh, the pavement, but in Hebrew it's Gabbatha. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And so this is, he's brought him out again. He's trying all the more to release him. And he brought him out and said, Behold your king. We don't know clearly where, where the location of, uh, of this place is, this place called the pavement or Gabbatha in, in Hebrew. But, the, but what's significant here is there is this, uh, this seat of judgment. Okay, yeah, the judgment seat is here. And so what he's doing, the fact that he's now gone and sat down in that judgment seat is he's going to issue the verdict. And that's what they did. So we have now the Roman, the Roman ruler here is sitting in the seat of judgment and that's when the verdict he is going to issue the verdict on on the case. So he's he's getting to do, he's beginning ready to do that. Uh, so Pilate capitulates uh, and delivers Jesus to be crucified. Verse thirteen. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and so forth. 
Now it was a preparation day, the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So now they're really playing the loyalty to Caesar card. And let's, let's, I got a few things I, I want to say about this. We have no king but Caesar. Um, in their frenzied hatred, they answered that way. In their desire to humiliate Jesus and be rid of him, they publicly deny their faith. For Jews to say that is a denial of who they are. It's a denial of their faith. We have no king but Caesar. The Old Testament insists that the only true king of Israel is God himself. They are a theocracy, the only real theocracy that there's ever been, but God is the king, correct? That's what theocracy means. God is the ruler. And not only that, they are abandoning Israel's messianic hope and the Davidic covenant promise that God would send Israel a glorious king. And they are anticipating and waiting for the king to come. And now they're denying that we have no king but Caesar. Well, what about the son of David? What about the, 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 the promise that David will not lack a man to sit upon the throne? Okay, and a son shall be given us. <laughs> and all of these promises, they're denying all of that. We have no king but Caesar. So they're, they're it's just, it's, I don't know what word to use. Tragic. Um, they, they, are, they are driven by hatred. They're, they're being driven by, by hatred. That's the scripture says that. They, they hated me uh, without a cause. And um, so they shout, we have no king but Caesar. So obviously they are loyal to Caesar, but what about Pilate? <laughs> you know, we're loyal to Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. But what about you, Pilate? Are you loyal to Caesar? Well, you could demonstrate that by executing this guy. So, are you loyal to Caesar? They have been shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. You're not loyal if you let him go. Now, Pilate knows that their professed devotion to Caesar is a sham. He knows that. Surely he knows that. Now, at this point, Matthew is the one that informs us that Pilate took the water and washed, washed his hands. It's right at this point, and we're going to pop over to Matthew 27. Uh, where are we? 27 around verse 24. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> we're going to deal with Barabbas here. We, we've seen Pilate's strategy last week on there. Um, all right. 
Pilate said to them, um, they said, let you know, release Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude. Now, he's in the judgment seat. We know that from John. He's sitting in the judgment seat at this point. And uh, he takes water, and he, and he washes his hands. Uh, Verse 19, though, says that here as well. Pardon me? Verse 19 says that here as well. S- says that he's in the judgment seat? Yeah. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, while he was sitting on a judgment seat. Yeah, so he, he's in the judgment seat here uh, while he's doing this. See, like he's getting, when he did that, he's getting ready to issue this verdict. And, uh, and he, again, you know, declare, declares him innocent. Um, okay, so um, let me get back to the right place here. Yeah, he could not prevail. Okay, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Okay. Some have said, this is the la- what does this language remind you of? We, went, we, we saw that language last week. Who, whose lips was that language on uh, last week during this? Anybody? Somebody that had a dream? Pilate's wife. That is right. Uh, During one of those earlier interactions, Pilate's wife came to him and delivered this message, have nothing to do with this just person. Whether there's a connection there or not, I'm not not entirely sure, but it is interesting to to have that pointed out. Um, So... I I think there is. Okay. His wife sent him the message as he was going to the judgment seat. Yes. That, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he uses that terminology that, that his wife uh, sent to him. Uh, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Now, before, before we get to that, we need to unpack this washing of the hands thing a bit. And uh, <clears throat> now th- there's no evidence that this hand washing was a Roman practice. So no evidence that, that Pilate is doing this as some Roman custom. Um, Pilate likely had picked up or at least had noticed this practice among the Jews based on Deuteronomy 21 verses 6 through seven. And uh, we can jump there. And uh, Deuteronomy 21, this has to do with capital cases here um, and how to profess your innocence about uh, murder, I believe. Uh, And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley then they shall answer and say, 
Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Okay? And so this is a washing of their hands, part of a ritual about declaring their innocence. They're not responsible for the, the, this uh, dead man that was found. Okay? That their city is not responsible for this. But part of that ritual is the washing, the washing of their hands. And uh, uh, quite a few people think that's actually where this, where this ritual is, is coming from, that, that Pilate is aware of this, and that's what he's doing. You see it in Psalm 26, I wash my hands in innocent, innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. And uh, if that is the case, you know, we don't know if Pilate actually thought this gesture would deliver him from guilt. I mean, of course it won't. This is a major hemorrhage of justice here, uh, and he is accountable, we know that. But it certainly sent a message to the chief priest that they bore the greater responsibility. Now the thing is, the chief priests are completely okay with all of this, <laughs> to bear the greater responsibility, aren't they? And it's also possible that his gesture, based on their own law, was maybe a taunt of sorts. <laughs> He's innocent of the blood. He can wash his hands and say, I'm innocent of the blood of this man. But what about them? They're not. They, they, they are not innocent at all. So, I don't know. Now, of course, the chilling response that that they made uh, there to the crowd. Uh, let me get back to Matthew. Uh, let's get back to Matthew. Okay. That chilling response. So, Pilate says, you see to it. And they, they're they all on board. And the people answered and said, his blood be on our, be on us and our children. See? You see to it, Pilate says, you see to it. And, and uh, they want to reassure Pilate, it's okay, Pilate, we'll take the blame. We'll take the blame for this. And so that's what they do. You see to it. And all the people answered. What's interesting here, these accounts go back between chief priest and all the people. And so now it's almost like this whole crowd is you know is saying this not just the, not just the chief priest his blood be on us and on and our children a terrible terrible curse then pilate released barabbas to them and when he had scourged jesus he delivered him to be crucified so um let me, I, I might miss something here. Hold on a second. Yeah, okay. Yeah, John, John, John simply describes Pilate's capitulation to the Jews. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, in John's account, the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them. Pilate delivered Jesus to the Jews to be crucified, but... But of course, it's the Romans. The Roman <clears throat> soldiers are going to perform a crucifixion. 
So uh, Matthew provides a little more detail there. At this point, Pilate released Barabbas. Let's, let's keep going here then in Matthew. Then he, Pilate, released Barabbas to them. <clears throat> and when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So now this is Pilate, releases Barabbas. <clears throat> and when he, that is Pilate, Pilate now issues this verdict. And Pilate gives a command that Jesus is to be scourged. And that often was part of the death by crucifixion process. Uh, the person would first be scourged, and then they would be crucified. And so when we get to this point, um, this is um, uh, this this is the the there were three types of scourging. This is the brutal one, which was often part of the death, death by crucifixion sentence. And after this scourging, Jesus would not be able to carry, carry the cross. He, he would not physically be able to do it. His, his back would be shredded. His muscles would be shredded. Uh, his, his skin would be like pulp. Uh, sometimes their bones would be exposed. Okay, so... It was just horrific, and, and he would not be able to bear, and we see that as the account unfolds. He, can't, he doesn't have the physical, muscular ability any longer because his back is, is torn, his back and muscles are just torn, are torn to shreds. And it's entirely brutal, and uh, so that, that's what they did, that's what they did to him. Let's, let's read this. So, <clears throat> Uh, so he delivered him to be crucified. That's when he was delivered to the Roman soldiers to, to crucify these heinous uh, criminals against the Roman Empire. Now, I mean, that's what the soldiers think they're doing. The soldiers think they're carrying out a just execution. Okay, And, and that's, how, that's how the Romans would execute insurrectionists. And, 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 you know, I don't know, maybe it was... Seventy years earlier, <clears throat> there was a rebellion that was put down, and all the ins ins insurrectionists were crucified and put on crosses on the major road into Jerusalem. Okay, <clears throat> pardon me. The Maccabees. Well, it, it, what, it was later than that, but all I'm saying is, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to, you know, they, they shouldn't. The soldiers should not have brutalized Jesus, but I'm just, I'm just how this is unfolding is. The soldiers think they are executing these uh, insurrectionists against the Roman Empire. You know, Pilate has ruled. This guy deserves to die by one of the worst possible types of death because he is leading an insurrection to overthrow Roman rule. Um, and so that's, that's the mindset that is in these soldiers as they take him and after he's been scourged, Pilate has him scourged, and then they take him, and, and they're going to crucify him. But before they do that, uh, they, mock, they mock him. So then the, soldiers, <clears throat> then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, and they gathered the whole garrison around him. Right? And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And the reed in his hand, that was mocking him like he was a king with the rod. 
and and they and then they took the the reed and they put it on his head <clears throat> and put it in his right hand and they and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying hail king of the jews and uh, and they spat on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head and uh when they had mocked him, uh, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to be crucified. And so, uh, <clears throat> thank you, sir. I have two questions. One, given the way that you have gone back and forth between the uh, the accounts of this, yeah, do you think there was more than one robe put on Jesus? In this event, or do you think the way the events are just unfolding is it sounds different in the different accounts? Well, because it seems like there is more than one, more than one robe. Robe, yeah. You know that started with Herod, right? They did that when yeah. when Jesus sent the Herod, they put a purple robe on him. So okay, and, so and that's probably gotten around, and, or words gotten around. So is is this the same robe that they put on him? I don't. I'm not asking. I don't think it is. But yeah. I'm just asked. So, their Herod's robe is there. Definitely could have been at least two times. Yeah, and it seems when they say they put Jesus's clothes back on, that must have been his robe. Sure. That, uh, yeah. Not the. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not a regal. Not a regal robe. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the second question is, um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting it. That was a really good one. <laughs> oh, did oh no, uh, I forgot. Maybe it'll come back. See, we're all anticipating the second question now. Okay, so um, <clears throat> at this point, um, I'd like to bring us back and talk about Barabbas a little further. We kind of breeze over about Barabbas, but there's some very significant stuff here about Barabbas and some some issues about how our New Testaments have been translated, perhaps not the best in a few places, but that's been corrected in, in you know, the last 30 or 40 years with translation. So let's talk about Barabbas for a moment. In, in John 18, verses 39 and 40, um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> I'm reading here from the New King James. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but you have a custom that I, that's Pilate speaking, that I should release someone to you at the, at the Passover. Do, do you therefore want me to release uh, to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. And this translation, now Barabbas was a robber, okay, is, is the translation there. But uh, I'll show you in a minute here that, that the translation as a robber is likely misleading to English readers. The Greek term here, and I can't even pronounce English, much less Greek at times, but uh, <clears throat> those are long E's, right? Uh, Lestis, <laughs> okay? Lestis, that Greek term, it can refer to a robber, as in John chapter 10, verse 1, all who came before me were thieves and robbers, or all who came before me were robbers. So it can refer to robbers, but it can also refer to an insurrectionist. 
And let's go to Mark chapter 15, verses 6 to 11. And Mark and Luke use this very clearly um, as an insurrectionist. Mark 15, verse 6. Now at the feast, he, Pilate, was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. And they had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying out, began to ask him to do, uh, began to ask him to do just as he had always done. Okay. So, so, Barabbas is chained with his, what, fellow rebels. So Barabbas is a rebel, or some translations might, might use insurrectionist there. Uh, yeah, the ESV says, you know, he committed murder. Well, he, among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection. Okay. Later translations all use in the insurrection. And so he is, and there's others that have been chained with him. So there's a plural. So keep that, keep, hold on to that for a minute as, as we go through this. So, so um, Luke 23, 18 through 19 is similar. Luke uses a vocabulary that way too. We might as well take a look at that. And they all cried out at once saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Okay. So, so Barabbas is in uh, the prison there uh, because of a rebellion made in, in the city. And um, so we think uh, Barabbas is actually an, uh, the real thing. He is a, a Jewish insurrectionist against the authority of Rome. And uh, so it seems clear from Mark and Luke that that's the proper understanding. The other thing that supports that understanding is robbery, even violent robbery, did not gain a capital sentence out of the, out of the Roman justice system. The Romans did not put people to death by crucifixion for being thieves. Okay, so uh, that, I think, kind of supports the idea of what we see in Mark uh, Mark and Luke. Um, now, revolts and bloodshed fostered by guerrilla actions, they were common, and that's actually what's happening in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. You know, the first time you read your Bible, you read this, you don't understand what this is all about, but Luke chapter 13, verse 1, then there were present at that season some who told him, that is, some who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate was not reluctant to execute Jewish insurrectionists. And we have an example right there recorded in the gospel. That's what Pilate did to these Galileans. Um, he had them executed. And so um, Pilate obviously had tried others, hadn't he? Other, Pilate, this, trying Jesus was not Pilate's first insurrection charge trial. 
you know, he, he, he we don't know how many he did. But obviously, there's another case here. Um, so, now, also interesting in this language is the term notorious in Matthew 27, 16 is actually a neutral term. So, let me, let me show you that. 27, 16. Uh, <clears throat> same thing about releasing the prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And um, this can be a neutral term, and it simply can mean an outstanding or well-known. Uh, let me uh, follow me here. It'll take a second to, to get to the conclusion. Um, <clears throat> a notorious prisoner, these all went with notorious, but the NIV went with what? A well-known prisoner. Not, that's kind of neutral, you see? Not, when, we, when we hear notorious, this guy's really a bad dude. Okay? And so NIV is trying to back off of, of assuming that means negative, and so they translated there a, a, a well-known prisoner. And interestingly, that this very same word appears in Romans 16, verse 7, it's the very same word, and there it appears in a very positive light. And um, uh, my countrymen, and these in Paul's greetings at the end of the letter to the Romans, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, uh, other translations, they are well known to the apostles. So th this is... So that term notorious doesn't necessarily mean negative, all right? So just hold on that for a minute. Uh, New American Standard translated it here, who are outstanding among the apostles. So that's, that's our word uh, that's being used. So uh, where we're going with this is it's very possible that... <clears throat> When they called for Barabbas' release, they're not calling for a robber who has been, you know, breaking into people's houses in Jerusalem. <laughs> and they're calling for, they are calling for the release of like someone from the Zealot Party. And so uh, I think I'm quoting Carson here, quote, in the eyes of many in the eyes of many of the people, he, Barabbas, would not be a notorious villain, but a hero. Okay? If you were on that political side amongst the Jews that believed you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar and you should rebel, Barabbas could be a hero to them. Okay? He, could be, he could be thought of in the history of the Maccabees, somebody mentioned the Maccabees, but like those that threw off the Gentile rule. So, um, but definitely, I don't think he was a robber or a thief. And that, of course, spills over into the thief on the cross language. Uh, I think he was an insurrectionist, and uh, he was imprisoned to be executed. Uh, so, now... It's possible that the two men 
who were crucified with Jesus were co-rebels with Barabbas. Okay. I mean, the Romans didn't just go around executing anybody by crucifixion, scourging them and executing them by crucifixion. So it's, it's very likely that the other two that are being going to be executed Friday morning are also insurrectionists. And uh, that Greek term, listis, is used in also in Matthew 27.38. That's the term that is used, that is the term for uh, rebel or insurrectionist that has been too weakly translated as robber. But look at Matthew. Let me, you'll see where I'm going. Matthew 27 here. You see, <clears throat> then to not robbers, it's this term we've been studying. We're crucified. That's New King James. ESV, I think, oh, I don't have the notes turned on here, but I think there's a note in ESV that gives the other translation. But if we get down here, um, the NIV went all the way. Two rebels were crucified with him in, in the NIV. And I think that's fine because actually, I think when you put all the context together, and that same word, by the way, in Josephus is often used of insurrectionists. It's not just in the New Testament that says that term is used to refer to insurrectionists. It's in Josephus as well. So I think the, the linguistic case is pretty strong that, that those two guys were also there because they were convicted of insurrection against Roman authority. And uh, so... <clears throat> uh, And they certainly weren't robbers, right? They're not being crucified for being thieves. Um, so, all right, let's see. I get back to my own notes here. So, now, keep this all in mind. At least two other executions by crucifixion had already been planned for Friday morning. Correct? They didn't just at the last minute when Jesus was convicted, decide, well, why don't we execute a few more guys? The execution of those two rebels was already planned prior to, uh, prior to Friday morning. And um, that was already planned. So it's not impossible that the three executions had been planned for Friday, including Barabbas. Can't absolutely prove that, but two of those executions were already planned for that Friday morning. Pilate gets woken up early in the morning and they say, well, we have another insurrectionist here. And so, uh, now note, look at Mark 15, 7. Uh, reads like this. Um, <clears throat> let me back up here. Now let's get Mark 15, 7 here. Okay. And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder and rebellion. Well, if those other two men are his fellow rebels, and those two men were slated for execution Friday morning, then Barabbas obviously must be with them. I mean, I think the case is pretty strong. 
So Barat, Bar, these three are, it doesn't say two rebels. We don't know how many. The other, this plural though, right? His fellow rebels. So there's at least three of them here. Barabbas plus at least two other rebels. So they probably, all three, were slated for execution on Friday. And Barabbas gets released and Jesus takes his place. You got the microphone. Uh, a couple thoughts to extend on what you're saying. Um, the mob doesn't ask for a nobody. Um, in other words, yes. In other words, if let's say there were ten or twenty rebels, they don't ask for one that was just following along, right. that got caught in and and yeah. rebelled. Right. Yeah. Jesus is swapped in for the worst, which happens to, in my opinion, I think maybe the leader. Yeah. Um, and the one that had maybe been the one that committed the murder and yeah. went out in front. Yeah. He takes the place of the worst. Yes. All of them were bad. All of them deserve yeah. death. Yeah. But it's the worst one that, that gets freed. Right. And the crowd, it's such a juxtaposition, but the crowd um, doesn't ask for a righteous man back. If someone had been caught up, um, who is it? Um, uh, yeah. In Romans, it says, or, uh, for a righteous man, one will hardly die. Right. Um, but for, for a, a good man, good perhaps man, someone would even dare to die. Dare to die. But they don't ask for someone that got cut up whose mom says, hey, he didn't mean to go. Right? They yeah. ask for the worst guy to be set free. Yeah. <laughs> that he might go commit more crime yeah. in a sense, right? And Jesus takes his place. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that yeah, he yeah, he's not a he's not a nobody in that prison. He he he's known. Yeah. Yeah. And um uh yeah. He, yeah. So we can't. That's what we know. We we know we know as much as Scripture gives us. But I think it's pretty clear that he was an insurrectionist. I I think. <laughs> uh, and uh, they asked for the insurrectionist to be released. Um, and so Jesus takes his place. Um, so let's see. I got something in my notes here. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up with this. In so, if if uh, three executions of rebels were planned, then Jesus very likely took uh, took Barabbas's place. Carson says this: if if so, Jesus the Messiah actually took the place of the rebel Barabbas because the people preferred the political rebel and nationalist hero to the Son of God. <laughs> End quote. And the, these are my words here. The political rebel goes free while the Lord Jesus, who repudiated all political violence and led his servants not to fight because his kingdom is not of this world, he is crucified as an insurrectionist. All the while, the Roman governor, the Roman governor, is convinced he was not and no threat to Caesar. But it couldn't have been any other way. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, there's that wonderful statement in, in the book of Hebrews about the, how Jesus offered himself. I can't explain this, but by the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit. It says that, doesn't it? It says that. He offered up himself by the Holy Spirit or through the Holy Spirit, a once-for-all-time offering. So all three persons are involved in what is unfolding here. And um, so it's marvelous in our eyes. Um, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, which is the proper understanding of that psalm and verse, by the way. That's correct. It shows up on all these greeting cards, and I have to be gracious, but it's like, no, no, no. You read that psalm, and the day this being referred to is the rejection and then the exaltation of the, of the, Son, of, of the Son of God. Yeah, the chief cor- that's right, the chief cornerstone. Yeah, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. So we, we're just studying that day right here, that prophetic day where the rejected stone becomes the chief cornerstone. That is the day, and we rejoice in it every Sunday, don't we? That's why we, we, we rejoice we rejoice in this day every Sunday, and we call to mind this day every Sunday. And in a special way, when we practice the Lord's Supper, we, we call to mind this day. So, there, we've gotten through the trial. Uh, it's taken us six weeks to go through, but we went through quite a few chapters of Scripture. We've, you know, we've hit... We've hit many chapters of Scripture going through this. And, and Lord willing, we'll, we'll begin on, we'll go through the crucifixion, our Lord's account of his death uh, in the next week. Do you have any other comments or questions? You're, you're very, uh, very welcome uh, to do that. Did, did Braden send us a hello? Nope. <laughs> he is one. Brayden is on? Okay, maybe, maybe he'll send us hello. We have some online one. Anybody have a comment or a question or a, a thought you'd like to share uh, on this? Okay, well, not too many tonight. All right, let's, let's, let's pray and we'll be, we'll be done. Our Father, uh, your plans are past uh, finding out and your plan of redemption no man, woman that has ever lived or will ever live will ever uh, work, figure this out and have the wisdom and the grace. Uh, uh, I has not seen nor has entered into the thought of man the things that you prepared uh, to save us as that great uh, passage says and the depth of your wisdom and knowledge and is past finding out. But Lord, we know, we know much of it because you have opened your mind and heart and revealed, revealed it to us by your Spirit. So we praise and thank you for that. Uh, we praise you for your Son <clears throat> who had the power, the authority, 
and he willingly laid, laid his life down. Nobody took it from him. He didn't die as a martyr. Lord, he, he died as a voluntary sacrifice. And so, Father, thank you. You're just and holy. We see your justice in all of this, and we see that we deserve that place. And, Lord, what can we say? Um, as Paul said, God forbid that we should glory except in the cross of your Son, by whom the world has been crucified to us and we to the world. Lord, may our, may our believing in your Son and his cross have that power in our life to crucify us to the world. Oh, Lord, uh, what a wonderful thing that is when the world no longer has a piece of us. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.